I'd like you to turn to Revelation chapter 7 in a little while, and I'll ask you for a few extra minutes today for the sermon. We're running a little bit uh, short on time. So uh, at the end of the sermon, when we have our communion service, we will be rehearsing an actual event that is going to take place in the future. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but whenever we gather together to worship and, and have our communion service, it reminds me of this passage in Revelation 7, beginning in verse 9. <clears throat> when John writes here, he sees in vision, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hand. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So what a beautiful picture of this event in the future when a great multitude of people, we don't know how many exactly, but all of these people from different nations, different tribes, different peoples and languages, all worshiping God together. All God's people worshiping him. As I said, when we gather together to worship, we're rehearsing what that event is going to look like in the future. Now, our group here today may not be quite that diverse, but it is diverse, and that's to God's glory. Our group here today is a rehearsal for what that event's going to be like, a gathering of all types of people who will come together to worship God. So as we look around the room here today, you know, we've got people from different nationalities, people of different races, people maybe born in different countries. No matter where we originated, God has brought us here together, a diverse group, to worship him. And as I said, that's to his glory because he likes doing things like that. Now, unfortunately, today we live in a country, the United States, where relations are not that good. Race relations, in some cases, ethnic relations. Uh, there's a lot of controversy. There's marches taking place. There's protests taking place. People feel uh, left out of things that are going on. Government leaders are confused and frustrated as to what should be done to improve the situation, mostly through legislation and things like social activism. It's not bringing about a lot of good results. But the fact of the matter is, for Christians, racial reconciliation isn't something that we must achieve. It is something we must receive. Let me say that again. When we talk about all the controversy and the turmoil that's going on in our country today, I'm speaking specifically for Christians now, for us, racial reconciliation Reconciliation between the races isn't something that we must achieve. It is something we must receive. You know, when God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this fallen world, 
Jesus confronted the human race which he had created and found it to be cut off not only from God but from each other. You can look at it in a in a macro view if you will nation against nation and even in our lives for those of us sitting here we have seen wars over the years uh, rebellions turmoil around the world, nation versus nation, race versus race, culture versus culture. This is the history of the human race, the fallen human race, unfortunately. And you could bring that down from a macro view to a micro view and look at maybe individual families. We all, I'm sure, know of marriages that have broken up that we're aware of. Husband against wife, uh, division within families and that sort of thing. So that's the state of, of our society and it has been the state of the world ever since Adam and Eve. You know, human beings, we all need boundaries in our lives. We need physical boundaries, we need personal boundaries, we need emotional boundaries, we need our space, so to speak. We need family boundaries, we need boundaries between work and rest, we need all sorts of other boundaries too. We need boundaries to survive and we need them to thrive. In fact, we need boundaries for our very sense of self. Our boundaries enable us to define who we are and who we are not. When we have good boundaries in place, we are generally stronger and more resilient as people that equips us to love and help others from a position of strength. But in this sinful and broken world, healthy boundaries often become hostile, hostile walls. Walls are a way of keeping other people out, physically, personally, emotionally, and in various other ways. Putting up a wall might mean shutting down, refusing to listen, moving away, turning off, or going home. And sadly, these walls are often necessary. We need to put up walls when other people transgress our boundaries. When others overwhelm us and we lose control, we have to put up a wall to stop them doing it again. But sometimes we put up walls for other reasons. Sometimes we put up walls as an overreaction because we didn't have a good boundary in the first place. Sometimes we put up walls simply out of fear or insecure and afraid that our boundaries might be transgressed. So we feel we need to keep people out just in case. We can even use our walls as a weapon, defining ourselves over against others, and so using harsh words and put-downs and even violence. But it's not just in our personal relationships that we put up walls. There are also walls between families, groups, communities, and nations. Sometimes there are literal, physical walls, tangible walls, which act as symbols and expressions of the relational walls. We've all heard of the Great Wall of China. <clears throat> I think most of us are familiar with the Berlin Wall that once stood in Germany, a symbol of the Cold War, and now a wall between the United States and Mexico. And let me just say right now, this is not a political uh, sermon. I am not political at all. I'm just talking about walls that we put up. I feel personally that people should go through rigid uh, qualifications before coming into the country. I don't think that we should let everybody into the country. 
I like people come into the country the way my grandparents came into the country. It was very difficult for them, but they were determined and they made it. They were checked uh, physically for health issues and made sure that they weren't criminals or anything like that. So all, I'm all for that. But this is just another example of walls that can be put up that don't really solve problems. Where there are walls, there is no peace. There is at best a temporary ceasefire. Walls remind us that there is something very wrong in our world and in our relationships. So we're not just talking about political walls or national walls, we're talking about interpersonal walls that we put up. I'd like you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter two. Read the story of a wall that once stood between people that Jesus actually destroyed. Ephesians chapter two and verse 11. <clears throat> this is the Apostle Paul writing to uh, Jews and Gentiles alike. He says, therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, so non-Jews and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, you Gentiles, you never were Jews in your life, you weren't part of Israel. Once you were far away, you have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two, Jews and Gentiles, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, Jews. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So what was this wall that Jesus destroyed that stood between Jewish people and non-Jewish people or Gentiles? Well, to understand what it was, you have to go back to the Old Testament. And it was the law. When you read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, God established laws for the people of Israel. He gave his people good and proper boundaries to separate them from all other nations because he wanted Israel to be special. He wanted them to be a holy people. They were boundaries that defined him, defined them rather as his special people. These boundaries were part of Israel's holiness. God wanted Israel to be a special people separate from other nations 
for, their, for the sake of their special relationship with him. So the blessings that he wanted to give Israel were actually blessings that the whole world would eventually be able to enjoy. So God set Israel apart in these special ways. And of course, the boundaries involved various laws, ranging from moral commandments to special days on which to worship to dietary restrictions. A lot of us sitting here are, have been familiar with those laws over the years because we used to try to keep some of them. Now, the way that Jesus achieved peace between the two groups, Jews and Gentiles, was in his flesh through the cross, as Paul just said here. Through the cross, he killed the hostility that was between the two groups. And the laws that the Jews had actually ended up going beyond what God ever intended. There were literal walls set up by the Jews. For example, when it came to the temple grounds, there were restrictions as to who could approach God's temple. In other words, there was an outlying wall that Jews could come through, but Gentiles could not. And then there was another wall that men, male Jews, could come through, but female Jews could not. So, it was very restrictive, and it, it, it actually played out in ways that God never intended. There was a story in, the, in one of uh, Paul's epistles, or it may have been in the book of Acts. I didn't look it up, but when Paul was accused of bringing somebody who was not a Jew too close to the temple, and the temple authorities not only wanted to kill Paul, they wanted to kill the man that Paul supposedly brought you know, too close to the temple. Now, it turns out that Paul didn't do it, but he was accused of doing it. They were ready to put him to death because of walls, walls of separation that were about to bring about violence. So what Jesus did when he came down to this earth and lived his perfect life, went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, not just the sins of the Jews, but the sins of the Gentiles, the sins of the whole human race, he killed that hostility between peoples, specifically here between Jews and Gentiles. But when you consider it, he destroyed the hostility between all groups of people. His death dealt with our sin and our judgment before God. Both Jews and Gentiles were equally sinners. If Israel had kept those laws, they would have been a holy and distinctive people. But the problem was the Jews did not keep the old covenant. God wanted to bless them and make them a nation that would be respected by all nations, but they sinned continually. And God ended up judging them by sending nations against them to invade them. So this distinctiveness that they once had turned to hostility. So you see, what happened was Jesus, by his death, rescued both Jews and Gentiles from sin and from God's judgment. And in Christ, all need to see themselves as forgiven sinners, not as hostile enemies to God or to each other. So I named this sermon Jesus heals racial division. Jesus heals racial division. And I think when you come right down to it, he is the only one who can truly heal racial division. 
the government keeps trying, social movements, social groups keep trying, they keep marching, they keep protesting. But you see, the solution to the problem of racial division goes to the heart of people. And I think that only Jesus could heal the heart of people. And what he requires, what he brings about for us, is a change in our perspective. A change in our way of thinking when it comes to other groups. And it's not just racial, it's ethnic, it's people of other languages, it's people of other cultures. Why is it with this human nature that we just want to hang around with our own group and we don't want to have that much to do with people who are different from us? But what Jesus does is he changes our way of thinking when it comes to other people. Instead of looking at the differences, instead of looking and saying, well, that person is a different uh, ethnic group than me, or that person is a different race than me, or that person is speaking a different language from me. Instead of having that approach, Jesus says what we need to do is have the approach that we are all sinners. No matter our culture, no matter our language, no matter our race. And thanks be to God that he sent his son to die on the cross for us so that we can be forgiven sinners. See, that changes our whole perspective. Because instead of somebody who's different from me being on the other side of a wall that I've erected to keep them out, when you come right down to it, they are the same as me. Because they are a sinner, just as I am a sinner. <laughs> and they need salvation, just as I need salvation. And Jesus died for them, just as he died for me. Now it's up to that individual, as it was up to me, as to whether I'm going to respond to that good news, that gospel. That's their personal decision. I can't force that on them, but you know what? Jesus still died for them, and salvation is available to them if they will respond and accept Jesus as their personal Savior. And that changes things. It changes the way we view people, people especially who may be different from us. Because of, of Jesus' death on the cross and how he saved us from sin and from the penalty of sin, Jesus' death has made all believers holy, regardless of their race, culture, ethnicity, or language. As Paul said in that passage, we are no longer foreigners or aliens, but fellow citizens, part of a holy temple. Let's turn to Galatians 3. Galatians 3 and verse 26. He's speaking to believers now, and these are believers that go across all cultures, all nations, all languages, all races. He says, you are all, all of you, sons of God, through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. 
So you see, I think this is the, the key to solving a lot of the problems we have in this world. Jesus is the solution. Jesus is the solution. Governments have tried now for how many millennia to solve some of these problems? Protesters, marches, so on and so forth, social movements. The problems still seem to be here in this world. But we have been called as Christians to rise above this and to have a totally different perspective on things. And I ask you, as a Christian, and I ask myself, have you searched your heart to see where you stand? Because it's so easy to get carried away, isn't it? With some of the things that are going on in society today, so many things that we see on the news, we get upset about this, we, we criticize that, we're frustrated with this. Why can't all these people just live together? <laughs> you know, why can't we just get along, as somebody said years ago? Jesus Christ is the key. He is the only one who can bring about a healing. And as I said, in the book of Revelation, we see a vision of that, of all these people from all these different cultures coming together as one to worship him. And that's what we're doing here today. And we understand now that the solution comes through Jesus. The Apostle Paul here doesn't focus on culture, what nationality you are. Now, sure, we still are of a certain nationality and a certain culture. And we may speak certain foreign languages. That's okay. But God looks at it as one group. And it's a beautiful thing because we're all different. We look differently. We talk differently. Sometimes we think differently. And we have different backgrounds and different histories. And that's good. It's a beautiful mosaic that God sees when he sees his people. But yet they're all one. They're all sinners who decided that they needed a savior, who were convicted. And now they have salvation and eternal life through Jesus Christ. So Jesus changed things. Because of his death on the cross, there was no longer any need for hostile decrees to guard Israel's holiness. Jesus' death has rendered that thinking null and void. He's broken down the wall and killed the hostility between groups by his death on the cross. And you know, over the years, some of us old timers in the church who tried to keep some of those Old Testament laws, we see how futile that was now. That is not what God intended. You know, we used to be like Sabbath keepers and uh, we had certain dietary restrictions because we thought the rules God set up for Israel to make them special should somehow apply to Christians today. And when you think that way, you're totally taking your eyes off of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and what that meant. Jesus did not come to build walls, he came to smash walls and he did that. So there's one new humanity that God has created that consists of people of different races, cultures, languages, and ethnicities. So unity doesn't mean uniformity, as I said, because we're still all different. We have a different nationality, a different history, different family. So the end of hostility doesn't mean the erasure of identities. We're still unique in our own ways. 
Paul is talking about peace and reconciliation between human beings and God himself that Jesus achieved on the cross. So before we can achieve reconciliation with each other, we first have to be reconciled to God. Don't forget that. Jesus Christ came to reconcile us to the Father first and foremost. So that's the first step. But once that happens, God then expects you to be reconciled to one another. It's because of this reconciliation between us and God that peace and reconciliation with one another can happen. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16. <clears throat> And that's the wrong verse. Let's turn to Colossians 3.11. Sorry about that. Colossians 3.11. Paul, again, is saying here in the church, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, speaking to us, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion. So what should our approach be toward other people, people who are different from us, people that we may be a little wary of, you know, strangers or whatever the case may be. Here's what our overall attitude should be. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience don't respond the way the world responds to people that they don't understand or that they're uh, unaware of these are the traits that jesus christ had and they're the traits that we should have in our lives he goes on to say in verse 13 bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. So racial division, ethnic hostility, these are things that should not exist in the church first and foremost, and they are things that we need to control ourselves over when it comes to dealing with other people. And I don't know about you, but sometimes just in watching the news, what's going on in the world, what's going on in the country, the hatred, the animosity, you know what, sometimes I just have to turn that off and say, listen, God has not called me to that. I'm not going to let my blood pressure go through the roof now and, and let myself get all upset about what's happening in the world and, and, and with, you know, protests and marches that are going on. I'm going to focus on what God has called me to, where I live right here, the community in which I live, the people that I come in contact with. Let me practice these characteristics of Jesus Christ to everybody that I come in contact with, friend or stranger, 
somebody of my race, somebody of a different race, somebody of my ethnic background, somebody of a different, different ethnic background. And I don't know if they're Christians or not. I do know that Jesus died for them, whoever they may be. So I need to take that into consideration whenever I deal with people. Jesus died for them. I don't know if they've accepted that grace and responded to it and accepted Jesus as their savior. Maybe they have. You know, sometimes one lesson that I've learned is just looking at people, sometimes you tend to judge them. And I know in times past, I've judged certain people thinking, there's no way that guy can be a Christian. And it turns out he was. See, he didn't measure up to my expectations of what a Christian should look like. And who knows, he probably was a better Christian than me. So don't judge. Don't judge people. Give them the benefit of a doubt. But because of Jesus Christ, you see, he came to break down walls that separate people. And the way he does that is by changing our focus. Instead of looking at differences, let's look at what we all have in common. We're all sinners. Jesus came to die for all of us. Let's begin there, okay? And let's make sure that we are not in the process of judging others, condemning others, separating ourselves from others. And if we do, we've got some things we need to repent of. God has called us to be different. We are the holy people, not because of anything we've done to, to deserve to be called that. It's because we have a holy savior who dwells in us. That's why we're holy people. We're a different nation.